Welcome to the Teacher Transition Podcast, where we celebrate the amazing things former teachers are now doing outside of the classroom. And where teachers who are considering making a move of their own can find the resources, guidance, and support that they need to take their next steps. I'm your host, Allie Parrish, and I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to another episode of the Teacher Transition Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Lisa Spinelli. Lisa is a Senior Content Manager at the Association for Talent Development, ATD, and the host of the Accidental Trainer Podcast. She's also the editor of the 2020 book, Teachers to Trainers, and the creator and manager of the ATD Transitioning Military Service Member Workshops troops to trainers. In this episode, we are going to talk about the role of a trainer, why teachers make the best trainers, the difference and overlaps between trainers and instructional designers, and what a day in the life of a trainer actually looks like. So for all of you who've asked me time and time again, what is it like to actually be a trainer? How can I become one? What do I actually do? This episode is specifically for you. Enjoy. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Allie. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I am excited to talk about all things training and about where you work and what you do and why teachers are so great in the industry of training. We have a lot of teachers who ask, how do I become a trainer? but I want to back it up a little bit from there. Now you work at ATD. Why don't Mm -hmm. we start with you explaining to people what ATD is? Yeah, sure. Okay. So um, ATD is the Association for Talent Development, formerly ASTD. And we've been around for over 75 years now. And we're in about uh, 120 countries, um, over 30,000 members across the globe. And we really focus on educating those who are in the adult education field, meaning those who are in workforce development, talent development, those who are helping others in their organizations and um, as consultants to, to outside organizions um, be better at work. That's so we're trying to make great. the world a better place. <laughs> That's so great. Great description. And I think for a lot of teachers, they might be like, wait, 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 talent development? Like yeah. what are we talking about? But I do think, you know, you mentioned that the former name was ASTD or the American Society for Training and Development. When they mm-hmm. had that name, I think the name change was around 2014, but that year was the first time I presented at one of the ASTD or ATD, the training and development conferences that they yep. host. But yeah, for, for the teachers that are hearing this and they're like, what talent development? What we're talking about is how to train people, how to help people develop, you know, if it's their work skills, whatever they need for excelling, improving, training on the job, you know, getting better at things. So talent development. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people think like talent development, they think 
talent industry. They think, you know, actors and that kind of stuff, like that kind of, Mm. you know, quote unquote talent. But um, talent really just means, you know, people. So anything to do with people who are working, um, they're considered that organization's talent because, you know, you can have a million robots and computers, but they're not exactly talented, right? So the people are the ones bringing the talent, they're bringing the skill set that you're not going to get from outside technology or inside technology. So yeah, talent, meaning the people themselves. Excellent. And I know teachers are very invested. You know, a lot of teachers have such caring hearts and they want what's best for people. And so mm-hmm. kind of having the view and perspective on this of like you're helping people become their best selves or develop themselves can help teachers see like, oh, this really relates with what I deeply value and what I really mm-hmm. want. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, it's such a natural progression that teachers are obviously, you know, in the field of education, they're in the field of helping little beings or big beings uh, become more educated, learn, develop, and be just better people. And that's exactly what trainers and talent development professionals do. They just do it for usually a little bit older of an audience. Definitely. Well said. So a lot of teachers ask us, how do I become a trainer? Like I want to become a trainer. We've been teachers. We're very familiar with stand and deliver, you know, being in front of audiences and people and and teaching or training. Mm -hmm. But really in in the industry, we refer to training kind of as a, a larger umbrella of different things. Can you share with people what you mean by trainer and more backstory for those listening? Lisa recently wrote a book called from teacher to trainer, we are going to link to it in the show notes so you can go directly to it. But yeah, Lisa, tell us what do what do you mean and what do people mean by a trainer? What are the different roles and job types like? How would you define it? Yeah, sure. So Well, you know, it's funny because when we started off as like ASTD, we were really involved with just, you know, the uh, straight up trainers. So I'll talk a little bit about like what we consider a trainer in the classic sense, but we kind of broadened our name because we found that trainers are usually, they're in a field where there's a lot of other people in in their field, in their department. And a trainer might be doing multiple, wearing many hats, or they might be, um, you know, interested in transitioning to other types of roles within the industry. But uh, we, when we say like talent development, there's a ton of different opportunities, right? So there's trainers, instructional designers, facilitators, e-learning professionals, coaches, there's uh, education technologists, there's a huge range of roles going on. But for trainer itself, just trainer, usually what we're talking about is somebody who is delivering that learning in front of a classroom. And usually what's involved in that is there's a lot of pre-work before you get to that stage. And and, and classroom could be virtual or in-person, of course, and especially now. Um, but yeah, so you could have that pre-work of the skills assessments that you need to do to see what it is the learners really need. You might be doing 
you know, kind of human performance um, analysis. So you might be doing like a 360 analysis is what we call where you're going and looking at not just that one individual or that one department's needs and skills gaps that they might be having, but you might be looking at their environment. You might be looking at their interaction with other departments or their interactions with the managers to actually see if training is the answer for that group of people that someone has deemed necessary to be trained. So you could be doing skills gap analysis, 360 analysis before you even get to the actual training event. And then the training itself, you know, usually happens with education materials that are prepared ahead of time. So that could be the trainer who's also doing those. And we call that mostly instructional design. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of different levels within the instructional design as well, like picking colors and picking shapes and what are the meaning behind that? What's the user experience behind all that? But um, that's a whole other ball of wax, really, that we could get down into. (laughs) And uh, yeah, then, you know, after the training when the training is happening, of course, the trainer has different delivery modes that they they could be using different channels. So you could be using in-person, you could be using a hybrid, you could be using online synchronous learning what, where it's happening at the same time, um, you know, live streaming basically, or asynchronous where the learners are learning at their own pace. Um, I mean, there's a a myriad of different ways in which the trainer can deliver the content. And then they usually also assess, you know, measure and evaluate much like a teacher does with tests for their students to see how well the learning has stuck. So there's a lot of different levels to the training and the trainer. And sometimes the trainer does all of them. Sometimes they don't, they only do one part of those. Sometimes they do, you know, a mix match of that. So it really, it really depends. It could be all over the place on, on the different levels and the different um, areas in which they specialize or have their job function. Well said. And also I think the size of the company oftentimes makes a big difference too, right? And in our our course from teacher to instructional designer and for any course members listening, I hope you just noticed how all the steps that Lisa just mentioned, that is the process that we go through in the course, everything from that analysis at the beginning. And she even mentioned evaluating at the end, right? So for those who are listening, who are in the course, she just walked us through all of those process steps in, you know, kind of a generic context. But Mm -hmm. yeah, if a company is huge, you know, some of the companies that I've worked at, we have different people who wear different hats for each of the roles that you've described. Right. You know, like training in person or virtually, or some people, those that do the analysis at the beginning are are different people. Those who are developing the resources are are different people, but, and, and the evaluation as well. But while other companies, it's been like a one-man band. Oh, yeah. I mean, we do see a lot of people who actually are such one-man bands that they're not only doing, you know, this kind of skill assessment and, you know, delivering of the training and designing of the training, measuring the training, but they're also doing, you know, HR functions and they're also doing 
organization development program. So, and they might be coaching some of the employees as well. So, you know, they're depending on, like you said, the size, you could be doing everything. Or, you know, I've worked at organizations that were so tiny, they were only about 10 people. And we had a strict chief of learning who didn't do any HR. She just did learning. So it it really could depend on the organization and on the size. Yeah. And I've also been telling people lately, I'm like, look, 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 this is just a first next opportunity. This is these roles are kind of like the gateway drug of work of new <laughs> of new opportunities. You know what I mean? Like, because really, uh, it's just getting you that first role and that first position. The transition from the classroom to that next job is the hardest part. Oh but yeah, once you're there you're exposed to so many different roles, like everything that you've just described, from trainer and facilitator to, you know, you even mentioned HR and mm-hmm. coaching and and development. There's so many opportunities. Definitely project management is something that comes along as well. So sometimes when Definitely. teachers have been asking, well, how much does this role make or or that role make financially? And that's, you know, those are important questions to ask, but not seeing it as an end game, really this opens all of these roles, open doors to like to so many future opportunities as well. Certainly. And, you know, just because you're in one role, like you're, like you said, um, you could start, I've known, you know, one of the teachers in the book, um, Scott Pitts, he had started at a bank and he, he start he knew he wanted to go in the learning department, but there wasn't anything open at the time. So he went into, um, I can't remember what bank it was, but he went into the bank as, you know, a teller, like a regular bank, you know, forward facing type of job, customer service kind of job. And then when the opening popped open, he was able to move into the learning department. And that, you know, is a lot of, of course, a stepping stone for if you find the organization, maybe, maybe you're not in the learning department, or maybe you are, but you're at a lower level than you really want to be, or you're in a peripheral role that maybe you're learning some of the skills that you're missing in order to transition in. Um, but yeah, you're right. The first step is of course, always the hardest, the, the job, the environment change is the hardest, but, um, not to look at that first step as the end all be all of your next career. Well said. And you learn a lot about the company that you work for when you see that they see the skills that you have and the ways that you are contributing and can contribute yeah, to grow more. Right. That's really great. Yeah. And I mean, I had someone hire me one time and I thought what they said was very on point. And this is something that we're seeing more and more as people move away from looking at your education and your background and really hiring for your personality and your abilities. So rather than, you know, skills that you might have really showing that you're motivated, that you're energized by the work or the company showing that, you know, you are a fast learner and a quick thinker or, you know, a dedicated type of person can really go such a long way because you can teach any smart person pretty much any skill set that they're going to need to learn if they're motivated 
and they're, you know, passionate about the company or the work that they're doing. So not, not to lose sight of that too. Don't think that your personality and your ambitions don't count for anything. Yeah, that's I love the idea of people actually really harnessing those and leaning into their strengths and their passions and their interests. Yeah, just really yeah. directing their course. I mean, you know that with my path, when I was looking to be a trainer at companies, I didn't just apply to a random training job. I identified like which companies are training on the content that I am passionate about. Yeah, then- I love that you did that because so many people don't do that. Yeah. I, I just figured, you know, I, I have a good job. Like I'm a teacher. Things are good. You know, yeah. there wasn't like some dire crisis of needing to do something else, but I really like was aching to do something I was passionate about. Long yeah. division, decimals and dinosaurs. Like those just weren't doing it for me anymore. You know? <laughs> and so long division I, definitely doesn't do it for most people, <laughs> especially long division with decimals, you know, <laughs> just kidding. But I still don't think I know how to do that properly. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder myself if I still remember <laughs> how to do that properly. But yeah, just I, I really wanted to be working with the content that I was personally passionate about, things that I would want to do and work on in my free time. Actually, things that I was doing in my free time. Like I was blogging about some of this stuff, right? Like right. if your work feels like your hobby, boom, you've nailed it. And so I just really intentionally honed in on those things. And for those who are in our membership, or who are in the Find Your Next Dream Job course that's inside of the membership, there's a whole process that guides you step-by-step through really identifying those top areas of passion and interest. Mm-hmm. And then the jobs that you can do in those specific spheres and areas. So anyway, I'm just a big fan of what, what you said, you know? Lean yeah, no, I'm with you. Work with what you love, definitely. Okay, Lisa, can you share with teachers why teachers are great trainers, like why they make great trainers. What are the skills, abilities, things you frequently see or any examples you'd like to share to illustrate that? Yeah. I mean, oh God, where do I begin? (laughs) All right. Well, I would say that teachers make excellent trainers because they have really, first of all, nailed the patience down, right? I mean, you have a group of class, you have a classroom full of learners and children can be very challenging. Adults can be very challenging too. You know, the guy who is throwing spitballs in the third grade class is probably the same guy who's doodling and acting like he just doesn't care to be in the training room either. And um, knowing how to reach those difficult learners or problematic learners um, and having patience and empathy, I think, are, for, are like one of the, the first things that I think about when I think about teachers moving into an adult training space. Um, of course, you know, teachers are very creative. You guys have to come up with new ideas and new ways of delivering the same content year after year. And they do it in a variety of ways. Some things you know you've tested and they work and you're able to deliver that again and again. But coming up with new and creative ways of delivering content so that it's engaging and so that people are actually learning the material, I think is a, is a huge, huge skill that trainers also have to do. Now, they the trainers might be using different models and you know methodologies to 
really chunk out and deliver that learning. But um, teachers, I think, have a real big experience base with their creativity and being able to deliver new content or old content in new ways. And um, I think that teachers also have great coaching skills. I'm sure they're coaching kids every single day through difficult situations, through conflict resolution, through time management, um, performance management, you know. So I think that teachers really have a lot of these transferable skills that they just maybe need a little help translating. Um, But yeah, and I would think leadership development skills as well, looking at those little leaders in their classrooms and figuring out ways to help coach them and develop them into the bigger leaders for their, their next class and their next step in life. That's another big area within talent development um, that gets a lot of interest. And, you know, teachers are really good at project management and evaluating their students all of which also go into training. Uh, You might have multiple projects going on at the same time as a trainer. You might have one huge project that you have to manage with many different moving parts and different interdepartmental goals. And so being able to bring in those different areas um, and put it all together into into one plan is is also a big thing in training and talent development that I think teachers can bring to the table. And like I said, evaluation, you know, teachers have been, for better or worse, uh, having to test children all the time on different aspects of their learning. And so knowing how to read those scores and and how to what to do after you get those scores and know where the skills gaps are and what you have to do to fill those skills gaps is is huge it's huge part of training so yeah i think there's a ton of transferable skills that teachers have and like i said that they just might need a little help in the translation of them and you know maybe a pump up of certain ones that they might be missing. But um, I really do believe that teachers have a lot of what's already there. They have the basis for what's there to move into this kind of lateral move into training and and teaching adults. A hundred percent. And you're using the word translate. I know for those in the, in the instructional design course, you're just going to use that teacher translator tool, right? Of this is the vocab that's in the classroom, but this is what we call it in training and talent development field, right? Like in the instructional design field to, yeah, to translate those skills. And Lisa's throwing out a ton of amazing vocabulary of talent development. You know, we also call it learning development of learning and development, LND, mm-hmm. okay, training. I guess Lisa, and a lot of people in our industry define these things a little bit differently, but how would you differentiate, and you referred to this a little bit earlier, but how would you differentiate trainer from instructional designer? Because I know, again, a lot of the people in the instructional design course are probably like, wait, 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 wait. These are the same things in the, the instructional design course. Is this training or is this instructional design? I guess, how would you define the larger umbrella overseeing the two of them and then the specifics underneath? 
Yeah, sure. So I think historically, like classically, the instructional designer would be working on the instructional design aspect, like what content exactly needs to be in the material, right? And then that is involved with research, um, talking to subject matter experts, um, and really putting that content together. And then kind of is the visual aspect of it. So what color choices to use? What visuals to use? What presentation to use? Do you use PowerPoint? Do you use Canva? Do you, you know, all those different kinds of uh, ways to deliver it. And then the user experience of that. So are you going to have a slide with just the graphic and then you're going to have the trainer talking? Um, are you going to have a quiz here? You know, the the different ways in which you get the learners engaged. So I think those are like pretty much the three main areas that historically kind of go into my mind when I think of instructional designer. Of course, instructional designers nowadays are doing a lot of the training. A lot of them are. And, you know, you might have some people that are just putting the content together. And I don't mean to say just because it's a huge uh, undertaking a lot of the times, but they might be doing. I oftentimes refer to that as a learning developer as well. Mm -hmm. Development of the resource too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the instructional designer might be doing the the skills gap analysis themselves as well. It really, I don't think there's like a hard and fast um, differentiation because it, the lines are very blurred, at, especially at this point. Somebody could be putting all the material together and then a facilitator trainer could be delivering that instruction to their group of learners, or it could be the instructional designer. And even if you look at job descriptions for instructional designer, it might look almost exactly like the uh, same job description for a trainer. So yeah, it, it, uh, it's very, I think the lines are very blurred at this point. A hundred percent. I completely agree. Um, Lisa, could you tell people if they were to see like the day in the life of a trainer, what might it look like? schedule wise or regular work responsibilities or tasks. I know it's very different. Depending yeah. On the <laughs> I'm like, out. okay, let me, I don't know. I could pick, I I could pick uh, a couple of different people that I know. And, um, and, so. and I ask because I know a lot of teachers, you know, they're in the classroom. They're probably, you know, teaching, whether it's remotely or online at the moment, and they're going to be grading papers later today. And sometimes they're like, well, what would it actually be like? You know, I can read a job description and sometimes they're really hard to interpret and I love helping people in the membership so they can understand like what it's really saying. But, yeah, you know, if they're like, well, what would my life actually be like day to day? You know, what responsibility? Again, it's going to be totally different at different companies, even at the same company in different roles. But just some, any examples? Yeah, so, I mean... Okay, so there's two different types, I would say, of trainers um, slash instructional designers slash consultants. Um, And so, and we kind of go over this too in the book, is uh, you either are specialized in one area. So, you know, we have a lot of trainers who train other trainers um, because that's basically what we're in the business of is helping trainers be better at their job. Um, So 
there are people who are specialists and then there are people who are generalists. So um, I would say, you know, there's a lot of generalists as, um, well, actually, yeah, I was going to say as consultants, but even within a company, you could have a lot of generalists as well. So, and then you could have in-house or out of house um, trainers. So the external trainers, otherwise known as usually consultants or contractors, will go into the company and they will have a project, usually one project that they're working on. So they might be delivering and in I'm sorry, they might be developing all of the instructional material and maybe even delivering it from the comfort of their own home. Um, and then the in-house people would be going into the office every day and they might be, you know, handed a project saying, okay, the customer service center needs training on this new software that's coming up. And so that trainer would do, as we discussed, some kind of skill assessment to see where the trainer, where the customer service representatives are at with their abilities and their level of skill for that type of software, if it's an update or if it's a new software system coming in. And then they would develop that or the instructional designer would develop that material. Um, as we discussed, they would be talking to subject matter experts, researching, maybe working with the software company itself on any materials that are already pre-planned. And then they would work through a strategy for how to deliver that training and uh, work with the instructional designer to develop those materials. So obviously that's probably not going to all happen within one day, <laughs> but um, you at any point in time might be, you know, handed a project where you have to start the skills analysis part of it, or you might be handed a project midway through and, and need to deliver on what the instructional designer has put together and really determine the strategy around that training. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it, there's so many different factors in it that it's kind of hard to say what a day in the life of would be, but um, I think those are probably at least some of the major starting points. Yeah, that was really good. And like you said, it's not like these things all happen in a day. So sometimes yeah. when I get that question from teachers, I'm like, hmm, how do I how do I tackle this one, right? Because some things you only do once a month or once every other month. But right. you're developing resources for them very frequently. An example that also came to mind while you were talking about that that might kind of help clarify this for some people who are listening right now. Um, when, so for the teachers who are listening, imagine when, or think of the times when your district or school organization has trained you. Now, if you were trained on certain curriculum, maybe someone, Lisa said in-house, right? Maybe someone in your district who is an employee of your district or of your school, school organization, maybe they were conducting that training. Well, if so, they most likely attended a train the trainer session where someone from that company, a trainer, trained them and then they were trained there. So another example, when, when I was teaching fifth grade, Franklin Covey, who has an educational department called Leader in Me, 
they had a train the trainer session in my school district. And my school knew that I loved the content and I had been asking to be really closely involved in this. And so I was one of just a handful of people from our district that was able to attend that train the trainer session. So Franklin Covey's leader in me department sent a trainer to our district headquarters. We were trained so that we could be trainers in-house, right? So our district paid for that train the trainer session, but then they save a lot of money because they can train their employees internally instead of paying trainers to come each time. Does that make sense? So, and then later on, when I... did instructional design work for that company when I was no longer a teacher, then I was doing the side of things that's preparing the resources. And, you know, initially they said, can we fly you out to view this training of how trainings are done now? And you can see the gap. Lisa referred to a skills gap, you know, here's, here's, here's the training and here's where teachers are with what they're being trained on. And here's where they need to be. How can we bridge that gap? Or basically, can you design a lesson plan, so to speak, or a training plan and training resources for that. So then I was able to approach it from that instructional design side. And it was just awesome to be able to do it with something where I kind of had a 360 view from the teacher's perspective as a teacher myself, a former teacher myself, and from the trainer perspective, and then from the instructional design perspective. So I hope that gives some clarification around some of the roles and in-house training versus not in-house training. Anything you want to add to that, Lisa? Um, no, I think, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's definitely, yeah, it, uh, for, for teachers, I think you gave great examples there, um, to kind of relate to. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so different for every person even that it is, it is really hard, I think. And, and, you know, I've had, um, I've had a number of people ask me as well about what, well, what is it like, you know, for, to be a trainer? What is it like to be an instructional designer? What's it like to be a coach? And really, and, and we said this too, in the book, it's, if you ask 30 different trainers, you'll get 30 different answers of what their, their day is every day. Cause it's just so different for every person experiencing it. So yeah. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for being the one to say that. I feel like I'm saying that all the time. <laughs> so yeah, I I completely agree with that. Um, okay, Lisa, I know we have a special event, a summit coming up, mm-hmm. and you are going to be sharing about how to become a trainer with everything from what do you do, how do you become one, and and so many other things. Is there any sneak peek or anything you want to just share with people about what they can expect or look forward to from you at that summit? Yeah, I think that um, I'll give out some, you know, good, I hope good, um, <laughs> career transition tips for for teachers uh, and for a lot of people that are, are getting into the corporate world for the first time. And I'll be also um, doing a kind of resume uh, help as well. So hopefully that will help a lot of teachers. I get a lot of teachers that send me their resumes and, you know, ask me to take a look, which I'm more than happy to do. If any of your uh, attendees or, or um, listeners here want to 
send me their, uh, their resume. I'll definitely take a look. And I always, I think one of the biggest things about the resumes um, that I'll just leave you with is um, try to look up skills-based resumes when you are doing a big career transition to a new career field. So that's one thing that I'm going to go over that uh, hopefully not everybody else is going to cover. Okay, Lisa, we've also talked a little bit in the past about, I believe it's your husband that is in the military and job change and how that culture is warm and welcoming to it. And they have so many helpful resources, but that is very different oftentimes with the teaching industry. And oftentimes there's a lot of guilt associated with it and not encouragement to explore different things and definitely not helpful resources for it. Can you tell us a little bit about what you see in you know, the military world, what resources exist and how people are supportive with that? Yeah, sure. Well, I do want to clarify one thing. It's very supportive of people retiring. It's sometimes not that supportive of people who are transitioning out um, a little bit earlier than the retirement dates. Uh, a little bit of the guilt factor that teachers also experience. Um, but I would say that for teachers, the resources that are out there are just I was shocked, non-existent. So, you know, my husband was in the Air Force. He's medically retired now. And um, so many different avenues that he could have taken. Um, Not that he took advantage of many of them, but there are a ton of opportunities for venturepreneurs, as they call them, you know, the veteran entrepreneurs. There's a ton of opportunities to go into like cybersecurity or government contracting and things like that. Um, and now I've actually found a few that are out there that are really about developing their softer skills as well. But when you're looking at teachers, and this was one of the reasons why we wrote the book, um, is that we really just don't see a lot of resources out there for teachers. And constantly hearing about the guilt trips that they're given or the comments that people make. And it was just astounding to me that for having given you know, even if it's only a few years of service that they're thought to be or talked to as not having, and this is, I mean, teachers, that you guys are definitely giving a service to the public and not being accredited or given that warm send-off that you really should be. And that there are just really not a lot of resources out there for teachers who are looking to make a new career path or even a lateral career path, as we like to say, for for training. So we uh, really hope that, you know, with Allie's work and others out there, that there is some opportunity for teachers to feel less stressed, less guilty, and get the help and the resources that they need. Lisa, thank you so much for the insights on that and for your book, for being, you know, part of the effort to help teachers with this. It's a big deal. I say oftentimes, I'm like, you know, with with veterans, regardless of the number of years that they've been in their service, we say, thank you for your service instead of why did you quit? (laughs) You know, like if we're, if it's veterans day, if everybody stands up at a sporting event or whatever, who's served in the armed forces in any way, you know, we all honor them. And, and obviously the service is different. Obviously it's very different, but the, the essence and the point I'm getting to is you know, it's not, well, but how many years did you actually do this? You know, it's mm-hmm. not, well, why did you quit? It's, it's, thank you yeah. for your service. And I just, yeah, thanks, thanks for what you've done and 
and writing this book. And I, I know it's already helped teachers. Teachers have already told me like, oh, this was so good. So helpful in, in these ways. So we will definitely link to that in the show notes. So thank you so much, Lisa. Awesome. Thank you so much, Allie. Do you ever wonder what you could do next for work opportunities? Would you like to hear from actual teachers who have now gone beyond their classroom and work in different roles? Well, join us at our upcoming summit. Whether you want to become a trainer, whether you want to start your own online business, whether you want to become an educational consultant or work remotely from home in flexible ways that align with your skills, we have excellent teachers who are going to show you the ropes for all of these things and more. Come and get the training you need for those specific resumes. Come and get the resources you need to actually get started. You don't have to do this alone. You're going to do it more successfully and enjoyably by doing it together. Go to teachertransition.com forward slash summit to sign up for the summit today so that you can join us as it goes live. This episode may have ended, but connecting doesn't have to. Join us on Facebook or Instagram and get the support and inspiration you need in your personal educator path. If you're loving the podcast, help us spread the word. Leave a review or screenshot the episode, share it on social media, and be sure to tag us at Teacher Transition. Who knows? We may even feature what you share on our social media feed too. Until next time, teacher friends, be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the upcoming episodes. Good luck with the great things you're up to right now and keep looking forward to the amazing things to come.